So this morning, uh, we're going to talk more about the gospel. And last week, if you were with us, uh, it was described in Mark chapter 1 as good news that brings joy. And the word that Mark uses for gospel is not just a specific reference to Jesus, but it was a word in that day used to describe news. But not just any news or even daily news, but history-making, life-shaping news. When Greece was invaded by Persia, for example, and the Greeks won the battles of Marathon and Solnus, they sent heralds or evangelists who proclaimed the good news to the cities. And so they ran to the different cities and they yelled, We have fought for you. We have won. And now you're no longer slaves. You're free. You see, the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history. It's something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. And that makes it different from any of the other religions out there, or even no religion at all, because all the other choices offer advice, while Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect with God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says, this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died, to earn the way to God for you. So Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. Now, I suppose we could make Christianity like the other religions, and I think sometimes we do. Perhaps maybe we come in here on on Sunday and we listen to what the pastor says we're supposed to do. And we say, okay. Thanks, Pastor. Let's see. I've got more stuff to do. I have to have integrity. I, I should work harder. I should be more loving. But it, it, that approach weighs you down because it's not a gospel. The gospel is that God connects to you, not on the basis of what you've done or haven't done or what you will yet do, but on the basis of what Jesus has done in history for you. So, instead of choosing self-centeredness of us choosing to be our own king, as we talked about last week, and doing it on our own, the gospel declares what the king has done for us. The king comes to earth and he, and he calls us and he wants to save us. And in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we hear the first words of the king on earth. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So the king has come, and it's time to repent. It's time to turn away from the things that Jesus hates and to turn towards the things he loves, to hear the call of Jesus, the king, and to respond. I once had an old youth pastor friend of mine um, who would talk about the call of Jesus in our lives, and then late in his talk while he was uh, proceeding with his message, a phone would ring that he had planted somewhere near him. And he would let it ring for a while. And then I remember him saying, It's Jesus. He's calling. Will you answer that? 
And it was a little bit corny, okay? It was a little bit funny. But you know what? That stuck in my mind. Because Jesus has a call on your life. And He wants you to answer that call. He's the King. And, and so the good news this morning is that the King has come. And by His authority, He's calling us to believe in Him and follow Him. And so the question for us this morning is, do we recognize the authority of his call. Will we answer that call as Jesus calls his disciples and we'll see the authority of his call on our lives? Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 14. And the heading there is the calling of the first disciples. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So the king comes with authority, and immediately he calls people to follow. Now, this is really different in Jewish culture because students in that day chose the rabbis. The rabbis did not choose the students. And so those who wanted to learn would seek out a rabbi and they would say, I want to study with you. But Mark is showing us here that Jesus has a different type of authority than a regular rabbi. And so that's Uh, The question that we want to tackle in in a few minutes that we have together this morning is, do we recognize or do you recognize the authority of his call? First of all, we see that Jesus has authority to call, meaning Jesus has authority to call you. 
And when he calls you, um, it's not a half-hearted commitment to make. You, I better back up a step. We recognize that it's not possible for us to have relationship with Jesus unless he calls, unless he draws. But when he calls you, it's not a half-hearted commitment to make. Um, and notice in our text when Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, Come, follow me. At once, they leave their jobs as fishermen and they follow him. And when he calls James and John, they leave behind their father and their friends right there in the boat. Now, we know that these men continued to relate to their families. Um, we know they did some fishing later on. But my point is that Jesus totally disrupted their lives. When he called them, he wanted to be priority one. And I believe it's the same for you and I today. Um, Jesus wants priority. And I may, may step on a few toes with this, but he wants priority over your family. He wants priority over your career. That's, that's drastic. Jesus is saying, knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me must become the supreme passion of your life. And everything else comes second. Some of you are saying, well, okay, Pastor Mark, calm down here. <clears throat> You're getting a little, little, little radical, maybe going a little overboard here this morning. But I don't believe I am. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 in saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so following Jesus is not half-hearted stuff. When Jesus calls, notice he doesn't say, well, you know, for, for most of you, uh, one day of church a week is good and a regular offering is good, but you know what? I do need a few really serious disciples. He doesn't say that, does he? He wants disciples. He wants wholehearted disciples. There's, there's no division or, you know, we put the preachers up here and the regular people down here. No. He wants disciples. He wants followers. And, and the good news is that he's not just calling you to follow advice like other religions. He's not just telling you what you need to do. Now, certainly he has the power and the authority to tell you what to do. Uh, but Jesus is someone who has the, uh, the power and authority to do what needs to be done and then to offer it to you as good news. And in relationship with him, he gives us the power and the authority to do things that we could never do. What a gift. And so we have to accept that gift. We have to receive it. So, so Jesus comes in our text, and instead of doing miracles and having disciples come to him, he calls them first. We see here he has authority to call them, and they respond. Um, he had to have power. You know, if someone knocked on the door of my house and they said, follow me, I'd probably tell them to get out. <laughs> but, the, but the disciples notice, they say, okay. He's got power. He's got authority to call people, just as he has authority today to call people. So he has authority to call you and I. Secondly, he has, we see from our text, authority to teach, verses 21 and 22. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. 
The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And if you you dig into this term authority, he uses this for the first time here. If you dig into that word, it literally means out of the original stuff. It comes from the, the same root as the word author. So Mark means that Jesus taught about life with original rather than derived authority. He didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply interpret the scriptures in the way that the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author. Somehow they sensed that authority, that he was the author, and it amazed them. So Jesus has authority to call you. He has authority to teach you. But we see in our text, he has authority over more than that. Verse 23. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You see, the people in that day were very much like us today. It takes us a while to process and to get things. It takes us a while sometimes to hear what God is trying to say to us. But these people might now be getting it. They've seen that Jesus has the authority to call people to follow Him. He has authority to teach like no one else they've ever heard. And now He gives orders to evil spirits. In other words, He is the King over the spiritual world. Maybe we should listen to this guy. I think so. Perhaps we should recognize the authority of His calling because He has authority even over evil spirits. And not only that, but if we read on in the passage, it goes on to show us that He's not just the King over the spiritual world, but also the physical world. Verse 29, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Do you think they're starting to see the authority and the power that Jesus has? Do you think they're starting to acknowledge this? Yes, the whole town is gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but He wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who He was. So the fourth thing in terms of authority that we see is that He has authority to heal. He's King. He's King over the spiritual world. And He's King over the physical world. And in a couple weeks, we'll talk about how this happens over and over. Uh, There are 30 recorded incidents of Jesus healing in the Gospels, all showing that He has authority over sickness. And in the book of Mark, 
the author goes on to pile on layer after layer of evidence to show that Jesus' authority extends to every realm of life. So Jesus is saying to them, and He's saying to you, come, follow Me, because I'm the King you've been looking for. Follow Me, because I have authority over everything, and yet I have humbled Myself for you. And because I died on the cross for you when you didn't have the right beliefs or the right behavior, because I have brought you news, not advice, because I'm your true love, because I'm your true life, follow me. You see, it's a relationship. But the relationship can't grow or develop without us opening the door, without us dying to ourselves, without us giving Him control and letting Him be the King of our lives. And it's a process that I hope every one of us are in each day. And last week, if you were with us, uh, we talked about that process as a dance. And I like that analogy. And I want to use a different one this morning. Uh, One story writer uh, describes this process a little bit differently. He says, At first... I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of all the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But... It was a tandem or a two-seater bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I, I didn't know just when he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead... He knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and he'd touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed. Gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. And so I did to the people that we met. And I found that in giving... I received, and still our burden was light. I didn't trust him at first in control of my life. I thought that he would wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. 
And in those times when I'm sure I just can't do any more, he just smiles and he says, pedal. Now, in this analogy, we can insist on driving our own bike. We can push Jesus to the back. Sounds ridiculous, but we all do it. We insist on being being in control of our lives. And in that process, we actually lose them. George MacDonald once wrote, You will be dead so long as you refuse to die. That is, you will be dead so long as you refuse to die to yourself. And you might say, oh, that, that sounds hard. And you would be right. I mean... How can you and I possibly follow such a demanding call? It's simple and yet it's profound. But, but hear, hear this part, please. Jesus himself does everything that he's calling you and I to do. And if you think about it in our text, when he calls James and John to leave his father in the boat... He had already left his father's throne. And later on, we know he's going to be ripped from his father's very presence on the cross. And so we have a savior, a God who has done everything that he's calling us to do and far more. And he promises the Holy Spirit to go with us in our journey, in our adventure and he promises to walk with us in that. And so, for you, um, there may be times when you're in the journey, or you're on this bike, and it looks like you're coming to a dead end. Or you're tired, or you're exhausted, and, and your lot in life is only suffering. There may be times like that for you. And if so, I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't try to go backward. Don't turn to the left or the right, because... Jesus' kingship will not crush you. Jesus' kingship will not crush you. He was crushed for you. He accepted His Father's authority so that you might follow Him and His authority. That by His Spirit, He could give you the power to do what He asks That by His authority, He could give you an eternal relationship with Him and life eternal. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, receive, accept that gift in His authority. Will it be a safe ride? Can't, Can't promise that. But will the King provide what you need? Will He be with you? Yes, He will. He will not crush you. He was crushed for you. This is good news. The gospel as we apply it to our lives.